Hey, welcome to Lakeview Sermon of the Week. We're so grateful to have you here, and we hope you enjoyed today's message. God wants to lift every ceiling in your life. He wants to raise every bar. And uh, I'll never forget it. I shared this story before, but a lot of you weren't here when I shared it before. Um, uh, One time the Lord had me go outside my neighborhood, and uh, he told me, I want you to yell my name as loud as you can out out in the neighborhood. I said, Lord, I live in an established, older neighborhood. I can't be getting out and yelling. And uh, I was like, have you ever had the Lord just go silent on you? And then you go, oh, and it says more than him rebuking you. So I just said, okay, I'll do it. So I went outside and I mustered the courage and I just yelled Jesus as loud as I could. And I ran back inside and I closed the door. <laughs> and I thought, God, that was odd. Why would you have me do something like that? And it was, the Lord was saying, I want what you do for me to be the most that you've ever done it in everything else in your life. He said, up to that point, the loudest you had ever yelled has probably been at your wife. He said, now I hold that record. And so the Lord, even in the minuscule, wants to raise the bar to where the biggest check you ever wrote was for Jesus. Well, y'all didn't shout as loud on that one. Y'all like the yelling at my wife? Y'all like that. But the check, y'all just kind of tightened up on me. that the Lord is wanting to call us to set records. And here's the thing about a record. One of the longest records to be held for the longest time was, um, it was the, they said it would be impossible to run a three minute mile. And, uh, And so for years, people tried to break that thing. And nobody could break the three minute mile. Well, guess what happened? A guy finally broke the three-minute mile. And do you know when he broke it? It got broke just about every year after that because somebody had to see somebody do it first before they could adopt the idea and the understanding that they could get the victory too. It's why the children of Israel had to see David strike Goliath down. You know, he only killed one man in that battle. But when they saw him strike the one man, they realized the Lord was on their side and they went in and pushed the Philistines out. Is that somebody could be waiting on you to break the proverbial record so that they can be, so they can see from your testimony that it is actually possible. That's why, here, 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 listen to me. That's why your sobriety isn't just about yourself. You think it is, you think it's about your happiness and your, and your little life that you're trying to build. Let me tell you something, it's bigger than that. It's a testimony to the demonic realm that Jesus is enough. It's a testimony to everybody around you that you can do this too. 
And so I believe the Lord is wanting to raise up examples in the faith that wouldn't be set up on a pedestal, but that would actually be the evidence of what is possible, that would actually empower the crowd and not captivate a crowd to sit and watch one man do all the work. So I believe the Lord is giving permission to his people to step into their role, into their calling, and into their destiny in 2024 to begin to achieve what you've never achieved before and begin to apprehend what has always been out of your grasp. And in order to walk in that, you're going to have to give yourself permission to be free. Because everybody's taking authority over everything, but have you took authority over your own life? There comes a point where nobody can lay hands on you and take authority over that thing. If you're still tolerating it, no matter how many hands get put on you, you gotta take authority over your own stuff. That's like Dr. King said, before anybody signs your emancipation papers, that person has to reach down into the depths and the deepest part of their soul and sign it themselves. See, you waiting on somebody else and God's waiting on you. Ah that the Lord would be moving us in a place that we would just put aside all the mindsets and things that we've constructed that have given us excuses to not go any further. And that every barrier that we've built, I'm praying God would reveal it and that you would break it and you would go yet another step forward in him. And I believe this is the heart posture that the Lord is wanting us to begin to settle into for the new year because I believe that God has so much for us in this new year, but we'll only apprehend as much as we're ready to receive. Ah. Okay, I got to get this out somehow. Ah, Okay. So, we'll just tell it like a comical story here. Um, So, if you know me and you've been around me any length of time, um, you guys know I could drift off into outer space at any moment. (laughs) I can be on one of Jupiter's moons like that, dead conversation and then come back towards the end and agree to anything you said and not know anything that you just said. Does anybody else got this tremendous gift? It's a spiritual gift. Unless it happens when you're with your wife. Because my wife has learned when I get the glazed over look, she goes, repeat back to me what I said. And then I guess, and she's like, what are you doing? I'm like, you know what? I give up. I, 
I went another place. So one of the times that this happened for me was in Little League baseball. And uh, it starts rather innocently. You're just there and then like maybe a butterfly (laughs) flutters by or a bee lands on a clover and you're like, I wonder how he turns that to honey. Um, You just, uh, you know, you're just in the moment. And I got into one of these things and I blanked out. Oh, uh, here's one. Have you ever been driving and then you come to and you go, For 20 minutes, I've been in autopilot. How did I not crash? Okay, so everybody can relate with that, I hope. Hope that's not just me. Um, You're like, how am I? Okay, whatever. (laughs) We're here now. Maybe I went to the third heaven and like my soul experienced something with the Lord. But So yeah, so one day in Little League Baseball, I'm kind of calling this to the deal. And I just kind of went, had one of those moments. And all of a sudden, I hear, thud. Oh, huh. That was odd. And that's what snapped me out of the daze. And then I look, and there's a baseball right beside me. <laughs> and I go, how'd that get there? <laughs> and then I'm like, slowly kind of coming. Everything's coming into me. And then I hear coaches cursing at me. I hear people laughing, and then I got labeled with a nickname uh, that stuck with me from fifth, sixth grade all the way um, through school, and they called me Gaucho, (laughs) because they said I took siestas in the outfield. But you always had some explaining to do because they're like, why are they calling this white guy gaucho? <laughs> That's why I would take siestas in the outfield. I was not an Argentinian cowboy. <laughs> um, but this is what happens when we get distracted and we get our eyes off what's actually going on around us is when we're not ready to receive the thing that God wants to do, it'll land beside us and we could miss our moment or our opportunity that God had orchestrated for us. So instead of the label, fly ball catcher, you get put a label on you that would actually conjure up your deficit and not your potential. (sighs) So some of you have gotten labels slapped on you, not from the potential and the destiny God's called you to, but from the deficit of you being in the wrong place at the wrong time and not paying attention of what God would want to do. Uh, But I'm here to tell you today that you've not missed your moment of opportunity, that you've not missed your window, that you've not missed it, that the Lord is the Lord of the harvest and he's beginning to orchestrate new fields and put new seed in your hand so that you can begin sowing the good things that God would have for you in 2024 and look back and reap a harvest that's going to blow your mind. That some of you are going to be doing things that you're like, I cannot believe I'm doing this. 
I cannot believe I'm stepping into something like this. What has got, what is going on? This is what the Lord wants to do. And this is what I'm finding out as I'm diving into scripture. And we're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 15. If you want to get your scriptures ready, your phones, whatever uh, device you're using, go ahead and get that out. But that God in the Old Testament would revolve his prerogatives around uh, the agrarian growth cycles. Um, So every festival that God would institute as a holy day or a holy festival would correlate with what was coming of age in the ground, what what fruit, what harvest was coming up. And the reason the Lord did that is, number one, it was an agrarian society. You didn't go to a grocery store in that time. You had to grow your own stuff, and you were linked to the soil, in a sense, um, to where it's actually where we get the word human is from the word humus, which means soil, and that's where we came from. So it's this kind of, this idea that we are interlocked with the soil, that it needs us and we need it, and we are composed of each other, and that as we interface with that which our hands are seeking to provide, the festival would be a reminder that yes, your hands were involved, but it wasn't your hands that provided the harvest. It was the power and the grace of God. You can sow the seed, but you can't tell it when to sprout. You can sow the seed, but you can't tell the seed to die. So the Lord is showing us that that we put the seed in the ground and he partners with us in that act. But the one that makes it grow, the one that makes it flourish, it's why Paul jumps on this language and he said, some planted and some watered, but God gives the increase. He is bringing us into the cycle of growing seasons so that we know whatever's in our hands got there because a good God with a bountiful harvest on his heart for you is the one that put it on the table. So God was so gracious so that when I'm eating a loaf of bread, I would know God put this loaf of bread on the table. I planted and I watered, but God gave the increase. So the Lord is tying the natural into the spiritual. And this is what we can't lose in this season that we're stepping up in. Because have you noticed? Everything spiritual is now that was done by monks and people that were fringe of the society is now being honored by the world. The world talks about fasting and health more than the church ever does. I mean, I jumped on the other day and I'm talking about, and I ain't trying to judge, but I was surprised this person was talking about fasting. But it was purely from a natural benefit. And so what the Lord wants to do is he, he, he wants us to honor these natural principles, but we can't miss the spiritual principle that God has tied to it. Otherwise, we will always be falling short in our methods of self-help. 
I love the day that we're in where the stigma of mental illness is being lifted and people are going to therapists and people are doing that. That's great. But if you're not in your Bible, if you're not spending alone time with God, You've seceded the point to the enemy that your problem is natural and not spiritual. And you're missing out on the third leg of the stool in which it stands. And that is God is the author of life. So go do your stuff, take care of your body, eat right, do all those things. But you better dive into God in 2024 because this is going to position you to catch the things that can't be done in the natural. This is what God wants you to do. You can't forget this in your pursuit of being whole. Boy, you better have your nose in that book. You better have some quiet time with him set aside. It's just you and him. And nobody gets that time. Nobody gets that time. That's your, you and his time. So, man, if I do that, I have to get up earlier or stay up late. So you've already put a value on it. You've already said it ain't worth it to you. But these are the things. We've got to learn what it is, again, to beat back the flesh. And just call it what it is. <laughs> like, absolve ourselves from the excuses and just say, you know what the real issue is? I'm lazy. Didn't that just feel good to say? Sometimes I'm lazy. Sometimes in the morning, I'm moody. <laughs> Don't look at me until I've had a cup of coffee. I see that tone of voice you're looking at me with. Are we we got to get into the scriptures. This is just, this is terrible. We're going to get in here, though. Um, but all these holidays and festivals were, were, were to point us to this reality that every season, beginning and closing, would be a celebration unto God. We'll celebrate when we sow seed, and we'll celebrate when the harvest comes. And that's how these holy days fell. But then the man Christ Jesus comes. Whoo, here we go. The man Christ Jesus comes, and suddenly all those holidays and festivals what they were pointing to as a type and shadow were suddenly fulfilled in him. So suddenly you have now all the times and seasons and festivals and what they were pointing at encapsulated and ensconced in a man named Jesus. So that whenever Jesus is there, it's always the right season. That whenever he's there, you don't have to wait for your ship to come in because if he's there, your ship's already there. So that the Lord would unlock us out of mindsets that would tell us, I guess it's just not my 
season, which becomes a mindset and a culture and puts us on the back of our heels and not on the balls of our feet in the ready position, ready to catch whatever God has for us to receive. So I want to show you this, this woman in scripture, nameless, don't even get a name, but is the inspiration for every man, woman, and child for how to posture your heart to catch everything God would have for you in this new year. So you ready? All right, look at your neighbor. Say, neighbor, you ready? Tell them if you're not, you better get ready. It's coming. All right. Matthew chapter 15, verse 21. After going out from there, Jesus went into the region of Tyre and Sidon. Now, Jesus is uh, moving in a pattern that, that really doesn't make much sense at this time, but, but he's pushed himself to the limits and the fringe of which he's thought to, um, that he would be thought to be found. He's positioning himself outside the normal positions that we would think to find Jesus. I think it's tremendous when we're reading in the scriptures that when we see Jesus, he spends more time outside of the temple than more time in the temple. Is that Jesus is trying to get us to the place, not to say the temple's not important, but to say the temple isn't the only expression and the only place I could meet people, okay? Um, so Jesus is in this position. He's in this region of Tyre and Sidon. And he's in these kind of Gentile districts. He's on the fringe. He's on the other side of the tracks. Can I get an amen that Jesus is willing to go on the other side of the tracks? That Jesus in us is willing to go as far as we need to go. Verse 22, a Canaanite woman from that area cried out, have mercy on me, Lord, son of David. My daughter is horribly demon-possessed. So as the ancient mind would read this, we, we kind of just gloss over it and think, okay, this is a lady from a certain area. But we have to put back on our first century glasses here to begin to see what's actually going on and how shocking this would be to a first century person that was reading or hearing this story being told. The Canaanite women, whenever time that word would be mentioned, and Matthew, he's addressing a Jewish audience. And so he's going to use this term to basically evoke the emotions in the hearers to begin to shock them about Jesus's audacity to even entertain someone from this area. The Canaanites were the demonic giant race that Joshua had to run out so that the Jews could come into the promised land. So when they first hear Canaanite, they, their mind, the ancient reader's mind's going to a crazy place. And not only is she a Canaanite, she's a woman. And in the first century, a woman did not interrupt or bust into a group of men palling around with a rabbi. 
It's why such a stink was made when Martha's upset that Mary's at the feet of Jesus and Martha's making sandwiches. I like what Bill Johnson says. Bill Johnson says, Martha was making tacos that Jesus didn't order. And some of you ladies are making tacos that Jesus never ordered. And God's got something good for you. And he's got a voice for you. And he's got a word for you. And he wants you to step into the thing that he's calling you to step into. I thought I'd have got more shouts from some ladies in here. But shake yourself and step into the thing that God has for you. Everybody's telling everybody else is where their place is. You know what God's up to. I better have to move on. So this Canaanite woman came and cried out. She busts up the party and says, have mercy on me, Lord, son of David. My daughter is horribly demon-possessed. So much is going on here, and I'm sure the crowd is shocked and dismayed. And probably where we would go to is is if, if we could see this event happening, and if we could get this in our minds, we would probably, if we're not careful, presuppose what the next verse could say without being open to even hearing it. So what happens in our minds a lot of times is we come to conclusions before we actually read the text. And the text wants to pull us away by shocking us from what we think, number one, how the woman's gonna be received, number two, what's Jesus gonna say, so that we might experience it line upon line, word upon word, and it may inform our life. Remember when I said you gotta position yourself to catch it. You can't read into scripture what you want it to say. You can't make Jesus into your own image or the image you think he ought to be in. That you have to take Jesus as he reveals himself. And so Jesus, verse 23, guess what Jesus did? He was a nice, polite man here, but he did not answer her a word. Now, that's not one that you pull out the bracelet and say, what would Jesus do, right? (laughs) Jesus isn't as boring as you think he is. He's a lot more provocative. He's a revolutionary. And he wants to draw you into that reality and break through all the molds that you've tried to put him in. And he's willing to even offend you to do it. So he answers her, not a word. So guess what the disciples say? They came and begged him, send her away because she keeps on crying out after us. And you know this if you're a parent, that your child's misery is yours. And when your child is suffering, you're suffering. So she goes in the place of another who can't make the trip. And she positions herself into the one place where she could get the touch that she 
needed. But Jesus is silent, and the Jesus people are saying, Jesus, get her out of here. <laughs> can, can, you, can you get her out of here? And as I'm reading, um, it gets even more, it gets even more shocking. Verse 25, but she came and bowed down before him and said, Lord, help me. So get this, she's put herself out there, put her neck on the line, busted into a house that aren't her, isn't hers, in a city that ain't hers, with people that aren't hers, and humbled herself and cried out and said, Lord, son of David, And she cries out and is met with silence and a crowd of people that says, she's gone too far. Somebody get her up out of here. Now, at that point, I believe most of us in here would have got offended and went home. Silence and not the crowd's approval. I'm going home. <laughs> I put myself out there. I was desperate. I wasn't worried about my dignity. I went all in. And people looked at me funny, sneered at me, and Jesus was quiet. <laughs> and we'd have packed up and went home and we'd have told everybody in that town how bad that Jesus church was. Watch what this Canaanite woman does. The audacity of this woman. God, give us people with audacity. <laughs> Verse 26, Jesus finally speaks. Are you ready for these kind, encouraging words? It is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to dogs, Jesus said. Boy, Jesus is really putting us in a pickle here. Like, Jesus, how am I going to explain to people this story? <laughs> this doesn't sound like the Jesus meek and mild who never turns anyone down. But what Jesus is aimed at here is not merely an answered prayer. He's revealing to those in the room 
the faith and the testimony of the young lady trying to get the touch. So in other words, sometimes the pursuit isn't about the answered prayer. Sometimes it's merely about the pursuit to show people the pathway forward and how to apprehend and get a hold of God. That it would be more important that the demonic realm saw that Jesus was enough in your life and the onlookers saw you weren't gonna go into a fence and stop your journey because getting Jesus would be worth more than your dignity or being worth more than the approval of people. And so there's Jesus' statement, children spread and throw it to dogs. Now, the same story is in Mark chapter 7. Mark, Mark is in a different audience. He's writing to Romans, and he doesn't use Canaanite. He uses Syrophoenician. So in using that region, the ancient mind would have known that was where Jezebel is from. So sometimes maybe what we're calling Jezebel is actually the right path to go in and get a hold of God and to grab the thing the way that we're supposed to and that we're intended. That Jesus would say this, that in his dispensation, even Jezebel gets saved. Yeah. That even she can come near and repent. Yes, come on. And this language is picked up in Revelation from Jesus when he's addressing the seven churches. And he says, Man, y'all have made your bed with Jezebel. I'm praying she repents so that she may return. See, some of us like to slap labels on people to keep them out. Somebody can be difficult, and we're calling them Jezebel. Why? Because that way we don't have to deal with it. It's their fault. It's their problem. We can just dismiss them. <laughs> Ooh, I like it when it's quiet in here. So to get a little deeper in here with you, to look into this word that's used in the Greek language for dog. The Jews did not have high views on dogs. They weren't, they weren't dog people. That whenever dogs came up, it was a negative symbol. It was like the scripture in the Proverbs when it says, as a dog returns to his vomit. So it is when someone returns to their sin. Um, when Lazarus is at the gate of the rich man, it says dogs are licking his sores. That These dogs in this time were ferocious scavengers and were feral and that they could cause you a lot of problems. Like the, the dogs in the Jewish mindset and in that, and in that frame and in that lens was not positive. Um, but that word was used, uh, the, that Greek word was, was kuon and in that Greek tense, it would be a negative form. But that's not the word that Jesus uses here. He doesn't use the same Greek word that from the Septuagint, which is the Old Testament translated into Greek, is not the same word he uses. He uses the word kunarion. And the kunarion would be softer language. It would be what the Gentiles would call a dog that was a house dog. 
So he's setting her up. You ever seen an alley-oop where they throw it up and then the guy dunks it? Jesus is throwing her an alley-oop. It looks like he's saying stop, but he's actually saying, I'm about to set you up to blow everybody's mind in the room. See, some of you have thought that Jesus is setting you back. He's actually setting you up. That the resistance you feel is to see what's actually down on the inside of you, to see if you're gonna back up or will you press in and push past the parameters and the barriers that you've put up. So he says, it's not good to throw the kids' bread to the dogs. And everybody's probably thinking, ooh, got him. And she does the unthinkable. She says, hold on here. Time out. Jesus, what do you know about a Gentile dog in the house? Because in my world, when the master eats at the table, there's some crumbs that Roll down his shirt. <laughs> and some gather in his lap, but some are brushed off into the floor. And then that little Kunarion, that little dog comes up under the table, and the dog is eating the same thing that's on the plate of the master, just in a different place. Same food, different place. And so sometimes the lesson is from the Lord, how low will you go to get something to eat? She one-ups Jesus. Can I say that? Jesus <laughs> like, as you can read the text as we read on, Jesus is shocked. He goes, whoa. None of his people are ever shocking him. A Roman soldier shocks him. Ladies are shocking him all the time. And everybody palling around with him never shocks him unless it's in a negative sense. And they're saying, how long do I got to be with you guys? <laughs> that maybe what we need are some new folk who don't know anything about anything, but just want him. And maybe that would be the key that would unlock a supernatural revival. Somebody that doesn't have to unlearn all the church and Christianity ease and all the wrong traditions of men, but somebody that could come with fresh eyes and go, oh, I'm just supposed to pursue him? Oh, easy, I'm going for it. I'm going all in to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And so this lady keeps pushing. Do you get the sense she's not gonna be denied? <laughs> you want to take me out or give me a miracle? Like this, is, like this is the ground I'm standing on, Jesus. And so we have to ask ourselves, is the level of my offendability tied to my spiritual maturity? 
that you can memorize scriptures back and forth every which way, but somebody cross you, you gone. Can say a scripture in Greek, Hebrew, and even backwards, but have no resilience to give grace to people. She stays put with everything gnawing and pulling and telling her to go. Said, I'm not going until I encounter the king. (laughs) Verse 27, she said, yes, Lord, but even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered her, O woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. So there's this movement here in scripture with bread, right? Like Jesus is the bread from heaven and There's these bread type things going on. And so I don't think it's any secret here that the conversation went towards bread. Because when we read on in scripture, because here's this lady, she's getting a touch before the cross, before the resurrection, and before Pentecost. How dare she not wait her turn? She gotta wait for Jesus to die, right? She got to wait for Jesus to raise from the dead, and then she's got to wait 50 days so that she can get the Holy Spirit. Or does she? Or does she? That Jesus is trying to tell her, don't you understand the timeline of the salvific history of man, and you're coming too early? But she appeals to the heart of Jesus above the rules and seasons that Jesus was in. That Jesus' heart supersedes the season. And so Jesus reached forward past Pentecost, passed into an age that is to come, And he reached into that kingdom by her faith and pulled back something from the future and pulled it into her present out of time and space and into the present reality that she was in. That when we pursue God like that, we're not confined to a season. You're not confined to a window of time or an opportunity, but if you will pursue him with all that is within you and all that is in your being, it can reach forward into something from another age and pull heaven from the future and bring it into the now where a Another generation could see what heaven on earth might look like. But will we grow weary in well-doing? 
Will we give up and faint? Will we fall asleep in church or scroll on our phones? Or will we position ourselves? Not for a man, but for him. For him. For him. So she uses this term of bread, and I can't help but think about Pentecost, because again, God operated by these agricultural festivals. And in this feast of Pentecost, it was to celebrate the end of the barley harvest, but the beginning of the wheat harvest. So one harvest was coming to an end, but another one that was more glorious was coming to a start and coming into a fruition. And in this, believers were to present the Lord two loaves of bread made from fine flour and baked with leaven, and they were uh, first fruits of the wheat harvest, and this is what they were going to offer. And then there was grain offerings, there was bulls, there was rams, there was lambs, rams, lambs, tomatoes, potatoes, things, these, lamb, dog, dog. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, just let that go. Just <laughs> Google Shirley Caesar, rams, lambs, tomatoes, potatoes. Just, you, you'll know what I'm talking about. So since the first sheaf of barley harvest was presented to Yahweh one day after Passover, then for the next seven weeks, there would be another sheaf of wheat harvest offered on the 50th day, Pente meaning 50. So it would be the celebration of one harvest coming to the end and another one beginning. And this is where Jesus told his disciples, this is the season he told them to tarry in and wait for. So I want you to see them with loaves in their hands, <laughs> having a prayer meeting. <laughs> that bread was present. Now watch this, when the day of Pentecost came, the Bible says that tongues of fire came down and a wind came through and wind and fire is always an indicator for the presence of God. Whenever he dedicated the temple, he would send fire on the offering and that would mean, oh, the fire's here, the presence is here. So guess where it's sitting now? So guess who's the new temple? Yeah, you. And they're all speaking in tongues, and everybody gets weirded out. That's what happens when people get to speak in tongues. And Peter stands up and says, hey, guys, we're not drunk as you think. We just got a dose of the Holy Ghost here. And this is what happened to us. Verse 14, but Peter stood up with the 11, raised his voice, and addressed them. Acts 2, you men of Judah and all you who live in Jerusalem, know this and listen carefully to what I say. In spite of what you think, these men are not drunk, for it is only 9 o'clock in the morning. Well, he didn't know the kind of people I knew growing up, but <laughs> apparently back then there was an early start. <laughs> Verse 16, but this is what was spoken about through the prophet Joel. Are you ready for this? And in the last days it will be, God says, that I will pour out my spirit on all people and your sons and your daughters will preach. And your young men will see visions. 
visions and your old men will dream dreams and even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy and I will perform wonders in the sky above and the miraculous signs on the earth below, blood and fire and clouds of smoke, the sun will be changed to darkness and the moon to blood before the great and glorious day of the Lord comes and then everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So this lady hit fast forward. Grabbed something that was out of her reach and in a different time. Rewinds it. And then gets the reality from Jesus' hand. Right then. What's Jesus trying to teach us? Would you drop the protocol? And would you run into my heart? And would you know that the season and dispensation of grace that you are in isn't confined to a season because the representation of that season, the man Christ Jesus, is the fulfillment. So that if he's there, every season is available with him. That if he's there, it can be seed time. That if he's there, it can be harvest time. That if he's there, he can be the day of atonement. Matter of fact, when he shows himself to John in the book of Revelation, he's wearing white linen. This would be a picture of the high priest one time a year going into the day of atonement, going into the presence of God to offer a sacrifice. Jesus is out of there still wearing white linen, which tells us what? He's the perpetual high priest that offered his blood one time and he's able to come and go wherever he wants to go. He doesn't have to follow protocol. So if Jesus is here, guess what? You don't have to wait for Yom Kippur to find out if God's going to forgive you or not. You can get forgiven today. If you come into this place, you don't have to wait for Pentecost Sunday. You can come into God right now and get full of the Holy Spirit. You don't have to wait for a time or a season. He's here. He's here. He's here. And if God would give a touch to a lady outside of season, what will he do now that the Holy Spirit has been poured out? What would he do? That in Jesus, I'm not imprisoned to a season or a cycle or a window of opportunity. That he is the Passover lamb right now. That he is the Yom Kippur, the day of atonement right now. That he is the feast of tabernacles and he's with me in my wilderness wanderings right now. That you are not confined to a season. He is every season that you need in your life at all time. So don't confine yourself to a season. Take responsibility and authority over your life and receive all that God has for you now. Don't let a circumstance turn into a season and a season turn into a mindset, and a mindset turn into your reality. <laughs> now, you know when your time is? Say it, Trish, say it. It's now. 
Now that's what freedom feels like. It's because you've taken authority over your own life and you're not blaming other people. And that's a scary place to be. Because then I got to keep pulling up a mirror. <laughs> Start sounding like Michael Jackson in here. Starting with the man in the mirror. Because it's an invitation to be in control over the only thing you can be in control over. Yourself. You can't manipulate and control other people. You can try. We all fall victim to doing that, thinking we've got some kind of power. You just don't work like that. You want real freedom? Take authority over your own life. And if you do, you'll be in a position. Oh. I was like, man, the Lord's coming. It's <laughs> like, man, I was wrong. <laughs> I wanted to be ready, though. <sighs> I was going somewhere, but it's just. It's just <laughs> Um, yeah, it's your season right now. You don't have to ask permission to seek God. He wants to invite you in. And he's not upset when you bust in the door. He's just not. But the Lord is... It's trying to draw us into something, something special this year. And I just want you to raise the lid on your life and begin to dream again what God might be able to do. That I know you've experienced some disappointment and some hurt and some health issues. And maybe a hundred million things have went wrong. But would you have the audacity to not be offended even when Jesus is silent and people don't understand? And would you just keep pressing in and not take no for an answer? Or will you take your ball and go home? And then everybody misses out on the treasure that God was wanting to make on the inside of you that only you could bring to the body of Christ. Nobody gets to experience it because you took the talent and you buried it. And, you, and when you buried it, you said, nobody's ever going to hurt me again. But the only one you hurt was yourself. <laughs> All that we would just go back into the yard and that we would dig up the talent that we buried. 
And we would get it back into our arms and say, okay, God, I'm getting ready to invest again. (laughs) Don't worry, it means more than money. Don't get nervous and weird on me. God, I'm getting ready to plan again. (laughs) Lord, I'm getting ready to water again. Because I know you're the God who gives the increase. And my season is now. It's now. Thanks for tuning in. Our hope is that these messages will help you on your journey of discovering who Christ is and who you are in Him. You can learn more about our ministry at lvahs.org or follow us on Instagram at lakeview.hs.